You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, I kind of got stuck in Romans chapter 12 after we looked at verses 1 and 2 last week. I thought, well, let's just, just, let's just complete Romans chapter 12. We did Romans 8 earlier, and it's like, this is, this is just too good to stop. However, I couldn't get past the third verse. So we're, we're blessed with a, with a one-verse message that will draw upon verses from other parts of the Scripture. But uh, <clears throat> looking forward to share that with you. I was... Uh, on Wednesday, I, the Lord gave me, gave me something. I, I had it in my notes. I wanted to share that with you. There, it was like there was someone who was holding on barely by a string. It was like a thin, thin thread. You're just barely holding on. <laughs> and the Lord would says, that's from your perspective. From my perspective, you're solidly secure in my hand. So don't fear the appearances of, of the thinness of your situation because that can look really scary but know that I am with you and will secure all things for you. Rest in the knowledge that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you know how I love that passage. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The the sevenfold negative there that, that causes us to know just how much he loves us. The, the concept there is that the Lord says, I've got you. And, and right now it seems to be pretty popular in our culture to say, I got that, I got this, I got this. And it's like the Lord's saying, I got this because I've got you. And, and the, the Hebrew where he says he'll never leave nor forsake has, has the picture of someone who has grabbed and has a grip on you. And sometimes I like to picture that as he's got a grip and he, he kind of holds us at the wrist. Marcus, can I have your right wrist? Okay, he, he's got the wrist. And, and as he's got us, if Marcus doesn't even hold on, he's not going to fall. Right. God's stronger than me. He's got Marcus. And he, there's no worry about that. But what he does is he invites us to get a grip on him. Now we've got that. How's that feel? Awesome. That feels so much Dino awesome. Mike. That That is the picture that he has us. So if you're in this, this, any kind of circumstances of life where it feels like you're just barely getting by, you're just barely holding on, things are, are, are looking kind of iffy and, and they're, they're becoming a little precarious, know that he has got you and he never drops you. Dr. Donald Joy was my Christian ed moral development teacher at Asbury Seminary. And he said one thing about fathers. Fathers can take their children and throw them and spin them and flip them and flop and do all sorts of stuff. Throw them and let them. Fathers never drop their kids. It's programmed within fatherhood. You never drop your kids. It's also programmed in fatherhood that you throw your kids around. Fathers love throwing their kids around. Do you know why fathers love to throw their kids around? They don't even have a clue why they do that. They just do that. They're developing the middle ear. You show me a a person that struggles with motion sickness, that can't do roller coasters, or that gets car sick, 
and I'll show you a person whose father was absent, whether they, you know, whether through death or whatever, the father wasn't there to toss the kids up because that's what, that's what develops that in the, in the inner part of your balance. So that's free. You, you don't have to pay for that one. That's just a little reflection from Asbury Seminary with Don Joy, my beloved, beloved professor. I love so much. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, New American Standard. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allowed, allotted to each a measure of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to take the written word and make it alive. Apply it to our hearts. Give us understanding. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a, a quick look at this, this scripture verse. It's, it's like, it's grace that starts. To even be able to speak to another person, we need the grace of God. And Paul says, it's by the grace of God that I'm going to speak this to you. Now, mind you, this is after verses 1 and 2. The therefore of verse 1 connects it to every, all 11 chapters that precede Romans. And then with chapter 12, we hit the therefore, and then we are called to surrender so that we would know our identity. I love that phrase that's in the Passion uh, translation. It says, um, here it is. Surrender yourselves to God to be as sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. Experiencing all that delights his heart. Do you think if you experience that which delighted his heart, your heart might be delighted? I, I don't think you're going to experience all that delights his heart and think, oh, well, that was okay. I think you're going to be euphoric. It's, you're going to be without expression, the wonderfulness that he has for us. So we have the grace by which we speak. We have the identity of how we think about ourselves. This is, this is crucial. It's been, all the, it's been the theme of the worship songs. It's been the theme of, uh, of many years of preaching here, of knowing who we are in Christ, knowing our identity. Because what happens when we don't know who we are? If we're not thinking about ourselves soberly, accurately, what happens to us? We usually err on one of two sides. We either go with inferiority or superiority, don't we? We don't have a right understanding of how we are when we have to measure according to the natural world. When we look at that, we might look at our economic status and make a judgment on ourselves. We might look at our education, make a judgment. We might look at our emotional health and say, oh, I'm so thankful that I'm not a basket case like sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, you know, and, and, and we'll, we'll do comparison. And that's how we try to find out who we are because, you know, 
I can do this better than that person, but I can't do it as well as that person. So I'm somewhere in here. And so we, we do that comparison. How we think about ourselves is so important. So how should we think about ourselves? Well, let's not think the comparison. Let's not think in the natural. When we know who we are, <laughs> our identity helps bring peace to how we live and to the choices that we make. After we surrender, we're transformed. Our minds become renewed, and then we're able to understand the will of God, His good, perfect, acceptable will. And then we come into that, that state. So it's through surrender that transformation takes place, and as transformation is taking place, and mind you, for some of us religiously who think, yeah, I was transformed. I gave my life to Jesus when I was five. There's more transformation, folks. There's more. It, it, we're continuously, as we're beholding him, we're being transformed into the image that we're gazing upon. What we look at has a huge impact on what we become. That's why if we look at our circumstances, if we look at our finances, if we look at our education, we're going to be so much less than who we really are. And when we think we have grounds to boast, we don't understand who we are in Christ. I've really never seen anybody who's in Christ be arrogant and boastful. Except for when we get the revelation that we're his favorite. <laughs> when we get the revelation that we're his favorite son, his favorite daughter, what does that do to us? That is just, doesn't it just make you arrogant and conceited and feeling superior to everybody else? No, it doesn't, does it? When you realize that you're his favorite, you're beginning to understand how much he loves you. And the only way to give expression to that <laughs> is to say, I'm his favorite. And then you understand that he loves you supremely. And when you realize that you're his favorite, you realize that Sarah's his favorite. Oh boy. And Chuck is his favorite. And Mike oh. is his favorite. You, you begin to understand that oh when he says he has favorites, it's different than we say in the natural when we say we have favorites. Oftentimes when we say we have a favorite, that means that we esteem that one and we put everyone else as less than. Notice what, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. Well, I, I can't wait. When we realize we're his favorite, oh, I gotta wait, because it's, it's gonna come up. I'm too excited. And so then he goes on, and the end of the verse, he's talking about the measure of faith, that we have sound judgment in understanding who we are, understanding our identity, and that it comes by faith. And I thought that was really interesting, the measure of faith. I find that the more we grow in faith, the more we understand who we are in Christ. And there's a direct relationship to our development of faith where, where we're supposed to go from faith to faith. 
And sometimes we get this misnomer and we, we think that we've achieved faith and now we have faith. Now, the little grain of mustard seed is so powerful it can move a mountain, but it goes from faith to faith to faith. What am I saying? If you can move a mountain with your faith, keep growing because we need a mountain range moved, okay? Keep growing. In the kingdom of God, there is always increase. There's always development. There's always maturation. We're always going to continue to develop from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. We're going to continue to grow. Okay? So how should you think about yourself? Well, let's not believe and allow circumstances to define us. Let's not let lies that we believe define us. Let's not others' pronouncements define us. In counseling, I've dealt with so many men whose father says, you are worthless, you'll never amount to anything. And their whole life, that's been their identity. They're working to prove their father wrong. And it's like, oh, you need to hear what your heavenly father says about you. When you hear what that is, then you can walk in that and you won't be doing it from the negative side. You'll be doing it from the positive side of knowing who you are. Not trying not to have these behaviors or this pattern in your life or these addictions because these are the things that has been pronounced as you are nothing, you are worthless to now look out. No, no, no. It's not about just getting rid of the old getting rid of the negative, it's about knowing who you truly are from your Father in Heaven's perspective. Who does He say you are? Mm. This is good. Thank you, Rick. Okay. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Proverbs 23, 7, the first part of that verse says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And last week we said stinking thinking leads to drinking. <laughs> and we understand some of those things of, of how does the enemy get us trapped in, in addiction? How does he get us there? He gets us to believe the lie about ourselves and we get our identity from our behavior, not from who he says we are. And so this gets really, really important that we know how to be transformed. How? Surrender all your erroneous preconceived notions about who you are. Even the ones that you've got history that can document that you are an eternal procrastinator. And you're late for this and you're late for that and you're late, 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 late. And so now you believe that God made you late. I don't think that's true. But you will continue to be a self-fulfilled prophetic act to yourself if you continue to think that that's who you are. I'm a procrastinator. I can't do math. I hate to read. I don't like playing golf. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. I heard this from Graham Cook this week, and I've, I've shared it with several counselees and, and people in the church as I've, our paths cross. And I heard Graham say this, and when he said it, my spirit just leaped within me. It was just so exciting. He says, 
You don't have a sin nature anymore. Your sin nature has died and been buried with Christ Jesus. It is attached to the cross. But you may have a sin habit. You may have a sin pattern that needs to be modified, that needs to be transformed. I love that because when I hear that, usually when I have a behavior that goes down a path that I've normally gone on, then the enemy says that's who you are and he counts as one. And when we say, yeah, that must be who I am based on how I behave or what I think or how I speak or how I feel, then that gets established. It takes two in the spirit realm to establish anything. And so we do not want to do that, to realize that my sin nature has been adequately, completely dealt with in the atoning death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. That sin nature has been dealt with. Why do I still wrestle with sin? Because I have a sin habit. I have a sin pattern. I've got, a, I've got to bring that under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I need to bring every area of my life under his lordship. And one of the areas that we're going after today is how you think about yourself. Now, John G. Lake, if you, if you recognize the name John G. Lake, would you lift your hand? Some of you know John G. Lake. Okay. If you've read any of his writings, would you leave your hand up? Okay, we've got a couple. This is what John G. Lake wrote. It's, it's about miracles, but to me, it, 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 it has an understanding about how we think about man, how we think about ourselves. The miracle realm is man's natural realm. He is by creation the companion of the miracle working God. Sin dethroned man from the miracle working realm. But through grace, he is coming into his own. In the beginning, Man's spirit was the dominant force in the world. When he sinned, his mind became dominant. Sin dethroned the spirit and crowned the intellect. But grace is restoring the spirit to its place of dominion. And when man comes to realize this, he will live in the realm of the supernatural without effort. No longer will faith be a struggle but a normal living in the realm of God. The spiritual realm places men where communion with God is a normal experience. Miracles are then his native breath. Have mercy. Now this isn't a quote to put down intelligence. It's not to put down the mind but it's to show that the order of the supremacy of the spirit, and when the spirit is supreme, then the mind serves in incredible, wonderful ways. That's how we begin to think accurately, is that we have a transformation in our spirit, and as our heart gets healed, we learn how to partner with, with allowing the spirit to take its, its rightful place of priority 
And then the, our mind as wonderfully, and many of us who've, who've been through abuse, we've got extremely well-developed minds. But then the mind is able to support and to serve. And it's not anything against intellectual. It's more about the right order of spirit. Hmm. The good thing is that spirit is, is, is amazing. And even if your IQ is not very high, you can still do kingdom life with your spirit. Because all you have to do is hear and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to hear, trust, and obey. Mm -hmm. Well, let's look at this verse in the ESV. For, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Yeah, good, good, good. In the, trans, uh, the Passion Translation, God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. <laughs> that just cracked me up. We've got to have a grace when we go there, don't we? I would like to ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement and then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. Whoa. Thank you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. So who are you? How should you think about yourself? You know, there are so many incredible posters, so many incredible documents. You know, who I am in Christ a hundred verses of who my identity is in Christ. Ninety verses of who my identity is in Christ. Statement after statement, theologically, of who my identity is in Christ. I printed off one that was just really cute and pretty and, and had a nice little thing here. And it talks about being chosen, forgiven, accepted, blessed, redeemed, loved, adopted, victorious. Wow. But you can go, when you start talking about who you are in Christ and your identity, you'll never touch bottom. You'll constantly learn more of how incredible he sees you. And it gets us back to who we really were originally in the heart of God. That when he created us, he created us in his image. And for communion and fellowship to be unbroken between him and us. And we have dominion and to rule over the earth. And, uh, you know, sometimes that gets so twisted from all the craziness. But that's pretty significant. You're never going to touch bottom when you start looking at who you are in Christ. But the problem is, the more we look at who we are in Christ, what comes instead of conceitedness, humility comes. Because Christ is so humble. And we start to become like who we behold. And so you never have to worry about becoming arrogant in the kingdom because that the more you know who you are means the more you know who he is. And the more you know who he is, the more the humility will always balance 
anything of the wonderfulness. But the wonderfulness keeps getting more wonderful. It really does. Well, I was just writing a few things down. I think, well, we have the mind of Christ. We have the righteousness of Christ. We don't have to try to promote our own self-righteousness when we have the righteousness of the righteous one. We have more righteousness than we could ever, ever, ever hold. Just the righteousness of Jesus. That when God created man, he said it very good. Good, 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 good. Very good. Look at your neighbor and say, you're very good. Very good. Temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, my stars. We, are, we have Christ living in us and we house the presence of the glory of the Spirit of the living God. That is just, that, that blows my mind. That just is off the charts. To honor above oneself is not to belittle oneself, but an opportunity to exalt another above you. Lift them up. Don't put yourself down. If I am the favorite of God, and in a minute we're going to get into Philippians 2, and I am supposed to esteem others above myself, and I'm his favorite, then when I come to Chuck and I esteem him above me, well, he's got to feel like he's the favorite because now he's above me and I'm the favorite. But as he comes into that revelation and he understands that he is the favorite and he esteems me, then now I'm favorite. And then we esteem, and we, it's not about putting yourself down. It's not about this false humility. It's not about, you know, I really can't do that. I'm, I, I'm only limited in my talents and abilities and gifts. And I'm, I'm not that special. You are more special than you ever would ever begin to understand. But I'm just common. I'm just a common. I'm a common person. No, you're not. You are noble in the household of God. We are a kingdom of priests. Hmm. Wow. Get into that. That'll start blowing some gaskets. Philippians 2, so here's what Paul says in Philippians. We'll end with this. Look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You get encouraged being with Jesus? You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to heighten your hearts but in authentic humility, put others first and view them as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. 
Let me, let me pause just a second, go back to the slide. Put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. That's not because you have a low opinion of yourself. That's because you know that you're his favorite. You know you're his favorite. You have a very high opinion because it's his opinion of you. It's not your opinion because of your achievements. It's your opinion because he gave it to you. He shared his opinion of you and you just happened to believe it. And you received it and accepted it as yours. And so it becomes yours. But now you can view others as more important than as awesome as you are. You can view them as even more awesome. I love it. Back to the next verse, slide 11. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Have mercy. How we identify ourselves will have a huge impact on how we fit together in the body of Christ. So Paul, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, talks about because of all that Jesus has done before, we've got the free gift of salvation in Christ through faith. We have no condemnation because we're in Christ. In light of all that has been said, and now therefore present yourselves, surrender yourselves as living sacrifices to experience everything that delights his heart. And from that holy surrender, there is a transformation that begins to take place in us and continues to take and continues to be transformed. And so now he says, in light of your transformation, let me talk about how you think about yourself. Why? Because in the next few verses, he's going to talk about the body of Christ and how we're all members of the body of Christ and how we have to fit together. And if we're not getting our sense of identity from our relationship with him, we will try to get it in competition with each other. And we'll say, I don't want to be the foot. I want to be the hand. Not if your identity is in the Lord. There is no one I would rather be than me. There's no church I'd rather pastor than this church. There's nothing I would rather do in the kingdom than what I'm doing in this community at this place in time and space. Why? Because my identity is from him. I don't compare myself with other vineyard pastors. I don't compare myself by how much other people make. I don't compare myself by how intelligent they are, whether they've got their doctorate. I compare myself to no one. I get my identity from who he is. Yeah. And so what? I can rest in peace. I can be fulfilled. I can live to the fullness of the glory of God 
right where I am because I'm his. You don't define me. I don't define me. He defines me. And so far, I love his definition. All right. He has defined me better than anyone I've ever allowed to define me. And I just soon leave him as the only one who has authority to define me. Amen? Amen. So we're going to sing. Worship team, who you say I am. Oh, gosh. Unfasten your seatbelts. Get ready to embrace your identity this morning. And let him reveal something that's new on the cutting edge that you haven't known before. I pray that as we sing this song and as we come into his presence, transformation will take place and we will begin to fully realize and experience that which delights his heart. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.